0: very much so i know on to the message so last week i i said that last week was going to be my last message on fear Mm, i'm going to call an audible here and i got one more message on fear fear and anxiety and doubt Everything that goes along with that and, and I just there's, there was just one example that was it kept coming up in my mind and, and I thought, you know it's like the Lord putting it on your heart right You're just like, okay, I can't ignore this. Um, you know I have to I have to speak on this and, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to do that And I think that sometimes and I just want to share with you guys, you know we, we pray every Sunday, we pray for the leadership of, of this assembly. You know, and I'm included in that prayer, and and I hope, hopefully, hopefully, you guys understand that through your prayers and all the prayers that you offer during the week on my behalf, uh, it, you know, is that you see a return on those kind of things, and and from a spiritual side of things, and so, you know, the the amount of time that you invest in praying for me, that I lead you guys properly, and that I pre- present you with the messages that that um um, and the leadership uh that helps push us in the right direction um helps helps us to go in that right direction uh you have a a role in that as well and 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 that role is is by continuing to keep me in prayer you know because i i think of it this way and you know the lord puts something on your heart and and he can't get it off your heart it may be because of your prayers that it won't come off of my heart uh it, it, may be, it may be because of the power of, of prayer and, and your diligence that, that I speak on these things. Um, and so, you know, when, when we hit a subject or when we hit something that, that has been effective, uh, I attribute that to God's divine providence in our lives and his sovereignty. And, and being in the position of pastor and the one delivering the message yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to do that because I'm using, I believe, a gift that God has given me. But really, it's just a tool and an instrument. Uh, I'm just a tool and an instrument for, his, for him and, and for you all as well. Um, and, you know, it's not limited to here and what we do here. But in this capacity, then we pray for those things. And so you guys yield a return on that. And, and I think that, that this, is, this is part of that. I want to start with 1 John chapter 4. Familiar scripture, I know, uh, real quick, and and really kind of sets the idea and the understanding of fear. In verse 18, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And you know, you think about that. So in other words, when we perfect ourselves in love, when we... When we fully commit ourselves to the Lord and our thought processes and our hearts, uh, we can overcome fear. Fear is one of those things that is, is to be set aside. Now, it, it gives us the, this scripture in particular. And you can read that and you go, well, see, therefore, you're sinful if you're fearful. No, I think we covered that very well already. Is that And, and we're going to read an example here today. We talked about Moses last week. He had every right to be fearful, but yet God still used him, and 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 the, he's got even some of his disciples and his early apostles the same kind of thing. It, you know, fear is 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 our flesh, and the 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 more reliant we become upon the Spirit of God and our Spirit, relying upon His Word and 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 the Holy Spirit, the more reliant we become upon Him, and in those circumstances the less fear we have. And we'll talk also about priorities too because I do think that there is, there is a direct correlation to proper priorities and the amount of fear that's in our lives. I think when we're aligned with what God wants in our hearts and our minds, we, don't, we have nothing to fear in this life at all. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. And so perfect love casts out fear and we have a perfect God. God. Which means his love is what? Perfect. He is the image and the reflection of perfection. Our God is. Therefore, his love is perfection. Now, he can take an imperfect being like you and I and invite us in and welcome us in to a perfect relationship. We don't make it perfect. That's where mankind sometimes gets things off a little bit. We think that we can be perfected. Well, we will be perfected only because he's perfect. It ain't us that's going to be perfect. And there isn't an amount of of rights and wrongs and do this and don't do that. There isn't a certain amount of those things that we're going to hit that will perfect us. It is only because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be in this relationship, that we can be considered his children. It is only because of His sacrifice and His mercy and His compassion on our lives. So the better we are at relying upon Christ and the better and closer we are to, to being in, in, in one with Him has a direct correlation of the reduction of fear and anxiety in our lives. Doesn't mean you won't fear doesn't mean you won't have anxiety. Matter of fact, a little bit of fear sometimes is a pretty good thing. I was just talking to my dad this morning about chainsaws. You're going to want to fear a chainsaw. You know, a healthy amount of fear of a chainsaw is probably a pretty good thing. Especially if your leg or another appendage is involved. Right? You want that. Electricity scares me to death. That's one that you should be afraid of at least a little bit, respect it, right but that's not what we're talking about today for us, and that perfect love casts out fear. He tells us that you know in other places that we read, we talked about our our, our inadequacies in our and our failure to understand uh, what god's called us to and, and and you know it can drive us and it can paralyze us, it can prevent us from being. Who God needs us to be in the circumstance that we need to be in. In other words, our life. Look, you look around this room, God has called us from wherever we came from, from whatever walk of life. Some of us have really good stories, or some of us have really kind of just, you know, normal stories. And doesn't make one better than the other? Makes them different, though. But when you put us all together, it makes it complete. You understand? That means that that, in, that gives us the opportunity. So if you have somebody that is a former drug addict and if you have somebody that was a former criminal or if you have somebody that was, that had a very uh, rough upbringing, someone that was abused or somebody that was, somebody that was uh, mistreated and somebody that had a good life, you look at all that and you go, well, none of those things are, are bad or good or any of them. That's just life, right? We all come from different walks of life. God uses us from whatever station that we come from. And so what we're able to do is you can you're able to put all that together and its dynamic pur- purpose in the body, right? You're able to put that all together. And there is not especially in us even just a small enough group like uh, that we are. You put that all together, there isn't a single person that we can't relate to. Almost like God designed it that way. He did. There's somebody out there, there's there's people out there that come from good families, that come from church families. There's some of us that come from broken homes. There's some of us that that have done drugs. There's some of us that have been on dope and done things like that. And and so we, we can sympathize with people that have done those kind of things. You don't hide those things. That's who you are. God brought you through those things. That's part of your testimony. That's a part of that you take those things. You can you can speak those things from the top of buildings because guess what? That makes you different than me or from the next person. And there's somebody out there that when you speak to them about those things, they'll listen to you because you've walked a mile in their shoes. The worst thing that we can do in our religious capacity is pretend that once we've come out of those baptismal waters, that that, that we have not had a checkered past doesn't mean you live there. Please don't misunderstand that. There's almost a, a what I would call a whitewashing effect in popular religion. You go, in other words, I don't live that life anymore. Well, amen to that. I agree to that. But that doesn't mean that's not where you came from. And in order for you to be able to reach the people that you once lived with or that you once walked with and that you once spent time with, you have to be able to remember and be able to sympathize with the lifestyle that they have lived and sensitive enough to understand that they need Christ too. And if he was able to do it with you, he is surely able to do it with them. But there's a certain amount of fear amongst religion. You don't want to look like the tax... You don't want to get accused of eating, and, it's, and it really perpetuates itself. It's really kind of an interesting look when you, you can look at some of the things. Even just take our small group of, of churchgoers and, and brethren that we... the small circles that we run in. There has been an absolute... Whether or not you guys want to admit it or not, or maybe sometimes you do or sometimes you don't, there has been an absolute pharisaical element amongst us for the last 20 years without question we based our righteousness on the things that we could abstain from We based our righteousness on the way that we looked, the way that we presented ourselves, on the false premise that we're we're imperfect beings, that we're we're perfect beings. In other words, we don't have sin. Pastors have come to the point where you only know so much about them. Why do you only know so much about them? Because they got messed up families like you do. But you keep everybody at an arm's distance. You keep everything superficial. So that we can just go to church and that's enough. You understand what I'm saying? If you keep everything superficial. The epitome of your Christianity becomes church attendance. But serving God is not done that way. Effectively. Serving God is accomplished in our lives, when we understand that I can take a look at you and go, you know what? You're an imperfect being. You got warts, metaphorically speaking. okay. And if you have them literally, I don't want to see them. It's not, But we all come from different walks. And so you look at that and we go, but every single one of us has fears or a fear or several fears inside of all of us that sometimes dictates our behavior and sometimes prevents us from being who we think God's called us to or what we're supposed to look like, right? Those, those fears are real. And they'll prevent us from sharing the gospel sometimes. If you would... Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 26. Now, I think everybody is familiar with the Apostle Peter. I think that everybody in here... Is also familiar that without a doubt, without a doubt, it doesn't take it. Does, you don't. You do not need to be a, 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 a theology major to understand that Peter, the apostle Peter, was a pivotal figure in the New Testament. Amen. That guy's important from a leadership perspective, from a from a uh, church perspective. From a foundation of, of the church and, and what he was called to do, right? I, Peter was a pretty important fellow. Peter did some really amazing things, didn't he? But I like Peter. I put myself in Peter's shoes. And hopefully you all put yourself in Peter's shoes. Because, man, he loved the, he loved the Lord with an unbridled passion. His love of God actually made him do a couple things that you would say is probably not wise, but you can sympathize with it. Like when he cut the ear off of uh, one of the Roman guards, right? Bam! There might have been a high priest guard. Can't remember exactly. But uh, cut the cut the ear off, right, in one of the Gospels. Boom! And the Lord told him, hey, put that sword away. You live by the sword and you die by the sword, right? He says, that's, that's not it. And so the Lord reattached the ear. And then another time he... he uh, he told, told Jesus, is, you know, Jesus is telling him, hey, I'm going to go away three days and gives him the whole rundown of everything that's going to take place. He's like, nah, not on my watch. That's paraphrasing, obviously. And Jesus told him, get, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, get Whoa. What are you talking about? Your, your thoughts are on man's thoughts, not God's thoughts. Whoa. I mean, which one of us, you know, if you're going to make an error, wouldn't it like to be like that? I mean, that's what I look at Peter. And yet he has a colossal failure at a very crucial time in Matthew chapter 26. Also, <laughs> you look at it and, goes, and let's jump in verse 69. It says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and Jesus had been arrested. and We'd gone through the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And, and, and here he is. Jesus is kind of following along as they're taking the Savior from, from the very different places that he's going, right? And Peter is, is very interested in what's going on and very loyal. And he says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you, you too are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I did not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, he tells them all the way back in, 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 in the same chapter in verse 34. He says, this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And, of course, Peter's like, no way. No way. Why? Such a dynamic apostle, teacher, pivotal character in, in the New Testament. Why in the world? Would he deny his Lord and Savior? Why would he do that? Fear. Fear of death. Because he saw what was happening to Jesus. And and, and you can't, you've got to understand that even, even his early church, man, they had a hard time putting it all together. They really did. They're kind of looking for him to establish himself in the kingdom, a literal kingdom there on the earth. They they thought he was going to dethrone the sitting king. Well, he did. But in the spiritual realm, he did establish everything that he said he was going to do, but not in the fashion in which they thought it was going to be done. Listen, he put all his stock, all his faith, all his belief, in Jesus the Nazarene or Jesus uh, uh, the Christ, right? He put all his faith in him to see him carted off like a man in in chains, willfully. Wait a minute. What's going on here? And then you can start to see that, oh man, this is kind of dangerous, right? I don't know about all this. And when you see what's going to happen to him and what's already happening to him, There isn't a single one of us in here that would not have the thought of, man, I need to save my own hide. There isn't a single one of us in here that wouldn't be fearful, just like Peter was. But Peter gives us a pretty good example of what our flesh is capable of, (laughs) what our spirit is. You You could take a man. Look, if you were to give... In the New Testament, in, in, in the Gospels, if you're to grab the prototypical guy that this loves Jesus, this guy loves Jesus, Peter would be near the top of that list, would he not? Without question. Peter's the only one that got out of the boat and walked on water with Jesus. Peter stripped off his clothes when Jesus was far from shore, when, when, after he was uh, uh, resurrected, right? Amen. Boy, howdy. He says, I'm, I, that's my Savior. He... he psh, Bam, into the water he goes. You know, that's all he thought about. He needed to get to shore. He needed to see his Savior. But much like it is, and this is a very good indicator for all of us. I just want to share this with you guys. Um, There's a couple things that take place here in Peter's denial. One, that he's human, right? Right? Every single one of us is going to be presented with this type of an opportunity, sometimes on a much smaller scale. The friends and the people that you've been around, sometimes you, you begin to question those things, right? And then you're given an opportunity to stand up for the Lord. And our standing up for the Lord really kind of takes place just like with these servant girls and these people that saw, that saw Peter. He's tucked off in the corner, right? In the shadows, so to speak. He's afraid to say who he belongs to, who he ran with. You know, one of the things that I learned long ago, and I made a commitment to God's people and, and to the Lord, is one of the things that I think that we have as, as Christians, I'll say this. One of the things that we have not been very good representatives of is I will never turn my back on you guys. I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Too much of that has taken place. Loyalty. And we're in this fight together. And if you can't count on me having your back, I can't count on you having mine. And I don't like living in that kind of world. There's a lot of misguided people out there, but I'll tell you right now is I'm not turning my back. On God's people. They may turn their back on me, but that's between them and the Lord. And they may turn their back on you, but I'm not gonna stand before our Lord and Savior and say that I turn my back on God's people. I'm not gonna do it. When we bite and devour one another, when we allow ourselves to be divided by stupid stuff, I'm just gonna tell you guys. We allow ourselves to be divided on some really dumb stuff. Yeah. Useless stuff. Yeah. And the only one that wins in that is Satan. <clears throat> Peter gives us a lesson of loyalty. That sometimes it's questioned and sometimes it's hard. And, you know, a lot of us, you look at it and you go, man, it's, it's really hard when you look at... Uh, you know, your life being on the line. It is. He says, I don't know. He, he kind of ups the ante each time. He gives him an oath. Then, you know, the cherry on top. The cherry on top is what? I'm going to go ahead and throw a few cuss words in there. Make it so that you really believe me that I don't know this Jesus in whom you tell me I'm associated with. I mentioned already, Peter's walked on water. Peter's been involved in the feeding of 3,000. He's been involved in the feeding of 5,000. He's seen the miracles. He's been a part of all the wonderful things that Jesus has done and and done some pretty amazing things. Peter's Peter's role in the New Testament is is nothing shy of of amazing. You look at that and you go, man, this could be the end. But here's, here's the... Here's the beauty of the Savior in which, we, in which we serve. This happens. Lord tells him about it. He says, hey, this is going to happen. And that's why when it hit him, oh boy, it hit. And that's how you know. That's how you know when true repentance is coming your way, when it hits you like a ton of bricks and all you got to do is cry. And that's how it happens right there. I think it gives, Peter gives us another good example. It says, it says that at the end of verse 75, it says, And he went out and wept bitterly. He did exactly what he told Jesus he wasn't going to do and did exactly what Jesus said you are going to do. He's like, that's impossible. And he did it. And he wept bitterly. Fear can cause us, fear of our own preservation, unfortunately, can cause us to deny the very Savior. Whom we have committed our lives to. If it can happen to Peter, it can happen to all of us. It may have happened to all of us at some point or another in our lives. But without going too much further, you can, you can read in other places that, that after Jesus had, and I mentioned it already, but after Jesus had uh, resurrected where did he catch Peter at? You guys remember? Because I mean, he, after he was yeah, after he was resurrected, he went back, fish fishing. Yeah. He went back fishing, didn't he? he, what, did he what he knew, he went back fishing. But here's the beauty of it: is you would think that well, is that, is that the end of Peter? He, did, he denied the Savior. You know, because, hey, hey, look, the Scripture, isn't there Scripture that says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father? Wait a second! Peter just did that! He literally just did that. So is it talking about the one-time denial? The denial is our lifestyle. The denial is, guess what? Sometimes we will deny God, or it has. we have denied who God is, or denied who Jesus is. That one time denial is not necessarily indicative of your eternal salvation and where you end up. I can tell you it's not profitable, but mankind is subject to failure, are we not? He comes back to, to Peter and finds him fishing and his disciples, and I, I mentioned it earlier. He goes out to, 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 to greet him, and, and the Lord says, hey, tells him, well, there, feed my sheep, doesn't he? He says, all right, shake the dust off, bud. It's time to go to work. And, you know, I think of that um, sometimes uh, because failure is inevitable in our lives, is it not? it's going to come and not that we like it and not that it's pleasant to endure but it is something that that does come and things begin to happen for us that you're just like you know what do you do you know failure you could sit and wallow in your in in your self pity and and um you know and and forget that uh that God's called you to a greater purpose and he's called you to a greater plan, but it also speaks to his divine providence and his spirit at work in our lives. You look at that and you go, well, he comes back and goes to Peter and says, hey, I need you to go feed some fish. I need you to go. I need you to feed my sheep. Do you love me? He said, well, yeah. Well, wait a minute. He denied. He denied. He denied Jesus before men. Matter of fact, he did it three times. In succession. Bang, bang, bang. I mean, he did it three times in a row. You look at that. Oh, that means that God can use a failure like Peter. That means he could use a failure like you and me. See, all he needs is somebody to be willing. And sometimes a little failure goes a long ways. Because when, he get, when we fail him, guess what happens? We give him our undivided attention. He takes us and drags us through a really tough situation sometimes. And we get to uh, the only place we got to go because we're at at the bottom end of a valley, right? And all we got to do is look up to him and go, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. What do you need me to do? And that's right where he needs our heart. chapter john chapter 21 and verse 15 it says so when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these and he said to him yes lord you know that i love you and he said to him tend my lambs he said to him again a second time simon son of john do you love me he said yes lord you know that I love you. He said to them, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I do not, I do not for a split second think it is coincidental that peter asked or that jesus asked him 3 times if he loved him because he also denied him 3 times not by accident i think he's teaching him something there don't you i think he's giving him a little bit of an object lesson hmm you denied me 3 times i told you you were going to deny me 3 times I'm going to ask you if you love me three times. He's got his undivided attention. And it speaks to the divine providence of God, the sovereignty of God, that God can take a loser or take somebody that failed him, failed miserably on a large scale, on a scale that but by the grace of God, we have his failure printed in black and white for us, in red, and red, if yours is a red letter edition, right? In, in black and white for us so that we can see that God can use a guy like Peter and then that means he can use people like us and does use people like us. And that those incremental or those incidental failures. Now, would you agree that his, his failure and his denial of Jesus Christ was a moment in time or three moments in time in a very short window, right? Would you all agree with that? But those incremental and moments in time did not dictate God's overall plan and purpose for Peter. And that's where sometimes we lose sight of things in our our human nature is because we don't have the mind of God. We don't have the understanding that God sees the beginning and the end. He is the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, right? That's who God is. He's the beginning and the end. See, he sees all he doesn't allow those incremental failures to dictate his overall purpose and his divine providence in all our lives. Every single one of us in here, God has called you to a greater purpose. God has called you, not just you right now, but he's called you in the future. He's called you into his kingdom. Your one-time failure does not dictate as to whether or not you will get into the kingdom. If anybody tells you that, they are a liar. They don't understand the scripture. And I would err on the side that they probably just don't understand. God has called us to, you look at this and go, look. He comes back to Peter and says, look, I got work for you. to. I got, I got something for you to do. I need you. And that we have to recognize in and of ourselves, when we fail God, God does not throw us out where He's not done with us because of one or two or three failures. Now if we begin to choose another lifestyle, that's not God's fault. That's, that's your you own that responsibility. Not me, not God. We choose the lives that we live, do we not? Amen? We choose him. Part of his divine hand and his sovereignty is that he allows us to make that choice. He says, To tend my sheep three times. He says, Take care of my people. I got a plan for you. And those those failures that we encounter in our life, brethren, that's not the end of the story. Depending on the failure, it might be a chapter. It might be just a couple pages in the chapter of your life. Do not lose sight of the fact that, and do not allow those failures to derail the overall understanding that God has called you to a greater purpose. There is more in store for you. Those failures are incremental in nature. They should be anyways. Incremental in nature. God has called us to a greater purpose and a greater plan. And thank him for that. One of the things that I would like to share with you guys all here today is that, listen, being a dynamic Christian, being a dynamic follower of God means that that we must understand and have the confidence that Peter was a fisherman, right? Luke was a a doctor, you know, lots of fishermen, tax collector. Peter was a fisherman and... And Matthew was a tax collector, right? And all the different different positions. You look at all that and you go, man, this, he calls them from all kinds of different walks of life. And God has called us from all kinds of different walks of life. We were talking about this earlier, right? And, and so what I want you all to understand is that he has called you no matter where you're at, no matter the position that you're in, whether you're in high school, whether you're in junior high, elementary school, all the way up to retired or whatever it is, it runs the whole gamut, right? God's called us wherever we're at and and he he has fully he is fully intended on using us and equipping us the best way possible. He needs us all to look different. He needs us all to come from different places because we are are a representation of his divine hand at work in all of our lives. Do not be fearful that you don't look the part. Do not be fearful that you don't have the right thing to say. You go, what do you mean sometimes the most the, the best things to say to somebody is the least amount of words, which is hard for me sometimes to to do right but you never know if God has placed somebody or somebody's in your path, families and friends and People like that, if they place them in your path, understand that God is using you and he can use us in, in mighty, mighty ways if we just set that fear aside and just say, hey, you give me the words to speak, you give me the life to live, I'll do it. and He, he will empower you to do it as, as he sees fit, not you. When you look at your life or when you look at your capabilities, there isn't a single one of us. I'm standing here before you guys today. There isn't a single one of us in here that when you evaluate yourself, unless you're narcissistic, okay, that you evaluate yourself and you go, I am not qualified to do this. There isn't a single one of us in here that is qualified. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that qualifies us. You belong here. You belong a part of this assembly. You belong a part of his people. Don't let your fear of being unqualified dictate what you say and how you live. None of us belong in and of ourselves. But the blood of Jesus Christ qualifies us. I'll leave you with one one last scripture. In Colossians chapter one, it says there in verse twelve, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share. In the inheritance of the saints in light. It is God that qualifies us. This is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that qualifies us. Nothing else. There's no man-made standard. There's no man-made quota. Man-derived or anything of that nature. It is because the God in whom we serve that qualifies you and that has placed you here this day. Do not be fearful of that. Remind yourself of the fact that God is the one inspiring your life, giving you motivation, and giving us the opportunity to be dynamic Christians in this world. I would also like to declare today that I would like to take back the term Christian and not be fearful to use that term. Understood? It's in the Scripture. Anybody tells you don't use that Scripture... I will say, is more concerned about an image than they are about the truth. The gospel preaches it. It's there. Let's teach it. Be dynamic. Be who you are, but, but God-inspired. Okay? That's all I got for this morning.